What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode six of season two of Mental Dive, the podcast, where we talk anything and everything, sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. And today we got a very special guest on in Dr. Cassidy Preston. Uh, You'll notice throughout the interview that me and Cassidy have a pretty good rapport. Uh, I know Cassidy fairly well. I've done some work for him in the past and I've been fortunate enough to learn quite a bit from him with many of the concepts that he teaches and he has taught me that I apply to my current mental performance consulting practice. So really excited to share this today. And throughout the course of the interview, we really focus on how we can help coaches like yourself, if you know you are in fact a coach, apply all these concepts into your coaching practice because it can be really hard. So throughout the course of the interview, myself and Cassidy talk about some of the challenges for coaches to implement these concepts into their coaching practices, why you want to strive for what we call task orientation versus ego orientation when it comes to motivating your players, and why it's really important to communicate with the parents as the parents have a direct impact on the way the attitudes form for their youth athletes. So we get into a bunch of different ideas. But before we get into the interview, I just wanted to remind everybody that I am currently taking on new clients for mental performance consulting. So if yourself or someone you know would be interested in potentially learning more about how I could help you reach your goals, work on your confidence, resiliency, you name it, please do reach out. Social media at Taylor Staden, that's at T-A-Y-L-O-R. S-T-A-D-E-N, and you can also email me at taylorstaden1 at gmail.com. Enjoy the interview. I wanted to change it up, and I told you I had a surprise for you. So have you ever played word association? Um, Like a little bit, not a lot. Like a, okay. like a phone game, I assume, kind of thing. Like I think I've done it, or my wife's done it, yeah. Okay, so yeah. basically uh, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name something whether it's just a word or a, a short couple of words. And I want you to tell me the first thing that comes into mind when I say it, okay? All right, all right. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Okay. St. Michael's buzzers. Championships. Being back in the ranks. Oh, the fun of the game. Mitch Marner. <laughs> <laughs> got two. He's uh, got uh, not getting it done in playoffs, <laughs> but, but also like I think he's a, a great, talented player. So I'm like, right. I, like, so really love how he plays with a lot of confidence and risk. So, but Leafs got to get get through the barrier there. Right. Smart, assert, <laughs> smart, assertive approach. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, that wasn't yeah, yeah, actually yeah, yeah. a word no, association. I was like, oh, was that a question? Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, smart, assertive. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let, yeah, let's run with it. Actually, smart, assertive. Um, three, four mindset. <laughs> gotta watch the video. Gotta know, know the concepts for that one, but playing with confidence is another right. way. Yeah. And lastly, return to play. Um, well, uh, the, coming back from the pandemic, but I also, my mind will go to concussions for return to play protocol. It's kind of the- right. awesome. <laughs> How yeah. are you today, Cassidy? What a warm up. Yeah. As I said, yeah. pleasure to have you. What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, uh, appreciate coming on and, uh, it's a pleasure to be the the first repeat guest. I think that's uh, <laughs> speaks speaks volumes to uh, to our relationship. So it's good for good to always connect. It's been it's been a been too long. Yeah, thank you, Cassidy. I agree um, about it being too long. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Your first yeah, recurring no. guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, too long just for us to connect. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Chat between absolutely uh, between sessions too. So. <laughs> and so. <laughs> 
So a few things. One, uh, given the fact Cassie is the first ever returning guest, uh, if you don't know who he is, you should probably go back and listen to our original interview. That was done in person prior to the pandemic, actually. That one goes quite a ways back. But just in case you haven't, Cassie, could you introduce everyone to yourself and you know just tell them a little bit about you? Yeah, the um, my background comes in hockey. Uh, from North Bay, Ontario, grew up playing. Was fortunate enough to get drafted. Played five years of junior, a little bit of pro, five years of university hockey at York and U of T, um, and that's where I kind of got really interested in the mental side of the game, sports psychology, because you know I want to work on it myself. But also the role of coaches in that was a big part. Um, and I started coaching myself, and that's what I went on in my dissertation was really revolved around the coach's role and sports psychology and um, and the elite youth uh, sporting experience. And uh, and then since then, I kind of taken, you know, all the things I learned and and I was working as an applied sports psych and, um, you know, mental skills coach, et cetera, um, while doing it. And then that's what I, I started doing that full time once I finished school and uh, slowly kind of built up my consulting practice. And uh, and now we have a bit of a team and I, and I but I'm doing a lot, a lot of work in the coaches still. I don't think I've ever asked you this, though, Cassidy. Why? Why coaching? What inspired you to want to do your doctoral research on on coaches? Yeah, well, um, I think because there's so much been done on on mental skills and mindset in the research, right? And um, and there's quite a bit known about it. But the like, think of it this way: What's the number one reason athletes, you know, want to work on their mindset or want to quit sports or um, or, or getting in their own head. It's coaches. Number two is parents, but <laughs> so, um, but number one's coaches, like half mm. the athletes that come to us want to work with us. Oh, coach isn't communicating. Well, coach doesn't understand, like, you know, I'm, I'm down the lineup or, um, don't feel like I'm being treated fairly or whatever it is. And sometimes that's not inherently the coach's fault. And like coaching is difficult. <laughs> it's like, it's not easy to do it, but it's like, you know, so I often kind of treating it from the ground up, but there's also treating it from the top down kind of concept. And, uh, and that was my own experience. Like I had some great coaches, but I had some coaches and I was like, what, am, what is going on here? Like what, like mm-hmm. the things that they say in the dressing room. And especially as I started studying and getting pretty educated, like, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, what are you saying it that way? Like, I was like, this is not helpful. Like, I really just, want to win this one. <laughs> yeah. I really want to win this one. It was like one of my classic lines. And, uh, you know, this is a must win game. Like it was, oh, I mean, yeah. it was optional to win the other games. And, um, and, and then let alone just like, and then being around ranks and I started coaching. Um, and I was an assistant coach as I was doing my master's. So even while I was still playing and I was doing my master's at U of T, I started to be an assistant coach Really, and just seeing, yeah. And just seeing some of like, not full time, obviously couldn't be the whole time. <laughs> I was like there once or twice a week. Um, the, the coach so that I was coaching with would say, I never showed up, but <laughs> he's always <laughs> sure for me, but, um, but it was great. I really loved being with the team for a while, but then seeing all the other coaches and just all the politics going on in, in elite youth sport. And, uh, and so that got me really interested. And there was also, so my master's was, um, the title was like, uh, athlete centered coaching, like, um, looking at recently retired Olympians and their most yeah, athlete centered coaches. And, uh, so that was, I was just kind of like, Oh, like what's like a, just really kind of a deep dive into this transformational leadership, athlete centered coaching, um, concepts and looking at the highest level, because one of the first things was there's this, um, fallacy or myth that's like, well, in order to be an elite athlete, like we can't, it can't be about well-being. Right. And that's changing significantly in the last, like, since when I studied it, which would have been 
over like 10 years ago now when I did my master's and it was like, so I went and looked at Olympians and the ones that had the most athlete centered coaches that cared and communicated well, and wasn't this just big dictator kind of thing. They actually performed the best. And mm -hmm. then when their coach was, had less of those skills, they performed worse. Generally speaking, it was only like eight. So it's not like a, yeah. a causation correlation kind yeah. of study, but is it, but there was a trend there and that's generally a trend that's been reported and people speak to yet the cultural norm is still the alternate where it's one or the other. You got to have, you know, performance and it's a performance culture or yeah, it's about well-being and enjoyment. No, no, they go hand in hand actually quite yeah. well. So I did that because I was, I thought a very interesting one and like I was still looking really high level. And then I got my opportunity to actually start coaching as a head coach in AAA. And the reason I started my PhD and I was like, well, I'm going to study myself is eventually kind of what kind of came out of it. Like I remember taking this, um, uh, a methods course, like, um, what's it called? Qualitative, qualitative. methods. Yeah, yeah. Qualitative methods in my master's. And there's like this guy, um, Atkinson, Michael Atkinson talking all oh, yeah. about, he's a professor talking all about autoethnography. And I was like, this is cool. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I kind of like got this idea as I started my PhD, I'm like, I'll do an autoethnography on myself as a coach, like study myself. I'm already going to be coaching. It's a disaster. We know how big of a disaster it is. And there's not a lot of research that addresses, um, being a great elite athlete centered, you know, this balancing act while you're in elite youth sport, right. It's been looked at a bit at the high levels and it's been shown, but how about in the youth levels where it's probably, it's not more important way, but more important because there's a lot more of them and there's a lot more mm -hmm. kids being impacted by coaches, not coaching this way. So I was like, that's a cool thing to study. I want to study that and, um, and keep learning about the, you know, the, the, the applied sports psych side of it too. Um, and that's kind of how it came. And I studied other coaches, studied the coach-parent relationship because that was huge. Um, and, uh, and studying the sports structure was a big thing came out of it. That was a long-winded answer to your question of why <laughs> I got interested in coaching. But there, there's a multitude. It was I was yeah. never like, oh, yeah. When I did it, people are like, yeah, this is really cool. But it wasn't like this, like, oh, everyone's going to cite it and talk about it. And not that necessarily is now, but like people are still coming back to it and seeing it and reading it. And it's um, so, and I, I talked to my supervisor, Jess recently, she's like, yeah, like, I'm really impressed with the work. Like people are still enjoying it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we were ahead of our time. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> autoethnography is pretty rare within, you know, most research areas, but let alone, yeah. uh, sports psychology, there's a few, but there wasn't a lot, which made it very hard at times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So> going to yeah. very contested waters in, in a way. And yeah. I remember just getting grilled about my methodology and stuff, but, yeah. um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got interested in it. And then now it's, but it's hard. But I'll say one more thing. You let me just ramble here. You, you know, I'm good <laughs> at that. Um, the uh, like, it's also hard to like get in front of coaches, right? Like it's great. Like I can know so much about the literature and, and there's so many people know so much about coaching literature, like Jean Cote uh, and, mm -hmm. but it's not easy to get in front of a lot of coaches, right? Like, coaches are pretty guarded and conservative and they like often focus on the X's and O's and they, um, you know, and, and, and so it's not easy to get in front of them and, and get that engagement interaction to get them to think about these other concepts that are actually really well documented and researched or proven to be effective, but they're also hard to teach, right? Just like yeah. sports psychology, it's like these soft skills that aren't so tangible. And, um, and so there's more of, it was easier to get in to work with athletes first and coaches, mm -hmm. but now, you know, working with the coaches side and getting some and, and doing more work there has kind of created opening some doors to, to take the things I've learned, plus the things I've learned since my schooling and, and use that to provide, you know, stuff to coaches. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of how, how I've gotten into the, this area. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's a few things there. One, I, I find it, I find it funny that you say, uh, or that you bring up rather the fact that people are really interested in your research, because I wrote a paper, I mentioned this to you on talent identification in ice hockey recently. And one of the questions was how can a conducive environment, um, help in the development of athletes? And I swear the entire section just had Preston here, Preston there. It was, it was nonstop, right? So that, that's there the one thing. Yeah. But, you know, I, one thing I really appreciate about you, Cassidy, is that I think you do an excellent job at bridging this exact gap that you mentioned is so difficult in the fact that we have all this research, right? We have all this research that in theory is, is great and it can be applied and, you know, there would be so many less problems, but it's not that easy to actually go on and apply. And like you say, get in front of coaches and, and make changes. And so you, one of your studies in, within your doctoral research actually talked, talked about this, talked about coaches' competencies to apply these skills. And, you know, you talk a lot about like motivational climate. Could you tell us a bit about some of the roadblocks that you found maybe throughout your research and your practice regarding like coaches actually applying these concepts? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things. Um, and yeah, again, and, and one of the first, like, you know, just again, to reiterate your point, which is like, we know so much. It's like, it's very clear what effective coaching is. Yeah. And yet what's taught to coaches is not that the research is not highlighted. Generally speaking, like, you know, Jean Cote is out there. He's doing some work. Like I'm trying to bring and just bring more awareness to what is actually effective coaching um, and, and kind of guiding coaches in, in that direction more. Um, but then the other flip side of it. So it's like trying to bridge this massive gap and where research is going and what practitioners are doing. Mm -hmm. um, but the other kind of unique way of looking at it is it's not like it's a rocket science like connecting to people, being honest and, uh, and communicating with both honesty and respect. It's like kind of obvious. <laughs> so yeah. but yet not just, just because something's, you know, makes common sense doesn't mean it's common practice. And, um, and so one of the, the issues that kind of comes up or was identified is like the coaches are generally pretty smart. They get it. They understand a lot of the competencies for the most, uh, most of the time they're generally, you know, driven, motivated to do it, but then it's the structure or the societal norms of what good coaching is or being forced to, or like the professionalization of youth sport where it's like becomes all about winning and they're sacrificing development. They're sacrificing communication. Their, their emotions are getting the best of them and they're not focusing on these soft skills and they're overlooking this and, and they're actually developing those uh, bad habits. So one of the, the biggest takeaways in, in my dissertation was just like, it's the, the structure, the environment itself is not generally conducive. And if you flip that and you look at like um, one of my favorite examples is Iceland soccer, where, where Iceland soccer, if you look at their development program, um, the, they train all of their coaches equally. They all get great opportunities and, and develop them. And all of the athletes have access to all the best coaches till they're 18. There's like very rarely any kind of like major separation of like, you know, the elite ones are going to get better training than these guys. And they don't do that till they're 18. And so it's a true development system. And then look how well they do at the world um, uh, level, right? Like they're performing because the size of their country, how well they can perform relative to the countries they're competing against. Whereas if you look at like the USA and Canada and a lot of other development countries, it's like sink or swim. Like let's just, let's just throw like all the good athletes. So you, you got to 
you know, deal with it. Everybody else kind of falls through. And the coaches like, yeah, best coaches, you just coach them and you just be as hard as you can on them. And if they can't deal with it, that's the, like, it's just kind of like, that's the, the model for elite mm-hmm. performance that is, you know, therefore how do the coaches operate like that? Right. It's like, um, what's the, the Stanford prison experiment. Like you put someone in a certain <laughs> role, they start acting in a certain way. Yeah. And so, and that's, was one of the big things in my autoethnography, which was like, I know how I wanted to communicate and be an athlete centered transformational leader, have these soft skills. Um, and it was so hard to do. It's not like, Oh yeah, it was just like, everything was just smooth. No, I struggled all over the place. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I wanted to quit in my first year. Like the, the, the way the parents were communicating with me and, um, and our team was doing well. Like <laughs> it was like, we were way better than we were the previous year. And I'm just getting like, you know, harassed is not the, probably the best word, but the parents were just all over me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I wanted to quit and it was like, uh, it, it was challenging and, and it's this balance of that, but that it would have been probably a lot easier if the sports structure was different, right? Where, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. We could still have games, but like, there wasn't a big standings. Like this, I was coaching 10 year olds and it was like, we're going to make the playoffs. It's like, who cares? Like who cares? <laughs> the only reason people care is because it was tracked. Right. Yeah. So versus like, Hey, let's have the games, but then only do playoffs and do a, everyone makes the playoffs and then have a thing at the end of the year. So then your jobs to develop all year. And then, yeah, they get a little weekend or, or, you know, a month long of like competition where teams get eliminated. And then like, so let alone all these, these other years. So the the whole developmental structure is like two practices two games is a, is a common thing it's like so then what's important you're gonna practice so you can win on the weekend <laughs> versus like it was like four practices to one game like changes or you yeah. know especially when those games weigh so much to how the coaches are evaluated so um you know so th- that's that was one of the big things when you think of like the coaches capabilities they're often fairly capable there's probably some things that haven't they haven't got taught and learned like they hadn't read this especially the mindset, these soft skills, uh, create a mastery approach to coaching, all those kind of things. Um, not every coach was is as fully educated on, but they generally got it. But then like mm-hmm. they'd say one thing and then you go watch them. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't always yeah. line up. Right. So, yeah. um, and, um, and, and one of my other favorite things uh, that I realized is like, who's evaluating the coaches, like the coach accountability is atrocious as far as I'm concerned. Like um, coaches could do whatever they want and they pretty much get away with it to a degree. Like obviously it's just, <laughs> like, there's a line that you know, yeah. people, they'll get held back, but they can just be screaming, yelling at kids. They can tell a kid, you know, that's not like just tearing them down. And like, what is like, what is the, like, what is it? What is everybody going to do? And often um, that's being run by like um, the sporting organizations are run by volunteers and they don't want to overstep their boundaries. And like, they're not watching. And like, they also have to be the need to support their coaches. And if they're just firing coaches left, right, center, nobody's going to want to coach there. And, um, and so it's, it's a really kind of a mess there where um, especially at the, the elite levels, double AAA and hockey, obviously, but I think in all sports where it's pretty messy. Like I see it in soccer. A lot of our soccer athletes come in and it's like, yeah, their coach is just berating them. Like, mm-hmm. and where's the accountability? And I, there was uh, an extreme case I heard of um, where there's like the, the parents called like children's aid society on a coach. Like he's making them do push. Like, that was like, extre- like, it's just like, there's. Do you think that your experiences as a coach made you appreciate these difficulties a lot more? Oh, for sure. Like it's 
the one of the here's a funny one parents that criticize coaches and i like is one of the worst but especially like oh you want to criticize a coach go put in your application you coach the team <laughs> like so yeah. you go be a coach to see how easy it is um and i do this all the time with athletes they're like oh yeah my coach i'm like it's hard to be a coach and to communicate effectively with all 17 athletes or, or more or less and that's not an easy thing to do they're gonna make mistakes like I'm going to make mistakes. There's no such thing as the perfect coach, but then the coach realizes they make mistakes and own up to it. And they're going to keep growing. And, um, you know, when, when they do and, um, and they're going to prioritize effective communication. A lot of coaches won't. Um, but yeah, like that's, so I, I can definitely appreciate, you know, the challenge. And so that's, it's good when I talk with athletes or I talk, it's like, yeah, good job coach when you win. But other than that, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean, like they're not getting a lot of yeah. praise and stuff. And, um, one of the things I actually did recently, I'm making this like seven steps for parents to support the child's mental game. And one of them is all about like working with your child's coach and as a workshop and presentation that goes with it. But the, that whole part, one of the big things there is like catch your coach, know what effective coaching is and praise them for the good communication and the good leadership qualities that they have. And yeah. like, because it's underappreciated and it's so easy. You, you can show me any coach and I can pick them apart. Um, this was just happening to Sheldon Keith. He got picked apart for the thing that happened on was on Netflix or whatever. Um, oh, the, the all um, or nothing or whatever. All or nothing, yeah, yeah, all or nothing. And maybe it's on Prime. I don't know what it's on. Amazon. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. Um, it's, good. I, it's on my docket. But um, and they were tearing him apart, relatively speaking, for his um, going into overtime speech in Game Seven or whatever. Yeah, it was. I saw and this. They were they're taking him like, oh, I couldn't have done this, which relatively so. Um, maybe he could have done it differently and I haven't watched the video yet, but it's like, Oh, it's easy to criticize coaches. Like there's, they're on, like, it's so you, you go and watch like, yeah, body language here, what they said there could like, there's like, you're not going to be, but you go watch John Cooper. I'm sure we could, you know, find some, maybe a, a few things where he's making mistakes too. Right. Like the best yeah. coaches in the world, they're going to say things, but then they own up to it. Right. Like maybe like, you know, whatever it is. But my, my point being is like, especially like, like John Cooper or Paul Maurice and like these, like they're the best coaches in the world, making millions of dollars coaching. Yeah. And it might be hard to find some of theirs, but with like a minor hockey coach. And then you're going to criticize, you know, this guy showing up and he doesn't communicate well, or he's, the power play is not this. And like the parents will just tear apart their coach. And, yeah. um, and the more you're doing that, what is it's just creating more tension. And it's creating a culture amongst the parent groups of less trust and not looking to work with the coach and instead like help them reinforce them and be grateful for them and what they're doing well and, and encourage more of that kind of behavior. One of the funny ones I've had coaches tell me, it's like uh, parents will tell them, Oh yeah. Yeah. You're like, yell at my kid. Like, <laughs> like they're encouraging him to go into this old school. Like, yeah, my, like, cause they're in the mindset of like, that's what effective coaching is, is yelling yeah. all the time. <laughs> like no i'm not gonna yell at your kid <laughs> like i'm not like like what is this so yeah um so yeah there's i can obviously really appreciate it and from a d bunch of lenses but being in it it's difficult like mm. it's a lot of fun being around a team and connecting and, and growing and seeing them develop and creating those relationships but then there's also a lot of stresses that can come with that and yeah um the the more coaches are educated and reflecting and have a good support system you know, have parents and educate parents around it and use sport, I think becomes a big part of it too. So yeah, yeah good question. Uh, thank you. And well, one part, one part of this too, I feel is that when we think of the, like sticking to ice hockey, when we think of the demand 
for hockey programs in Canada. There's so many teams, there's so many levels. Like I, it seems like there's new levels coming out all the time. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a large demand for coaches and you're not, you're not going to have quote unquote qualified coaches to always supplement programs, especially when you get more to the grassroots levels. Yeah. And so it's challenging because a lot of these coaches, they, I would like to imagine they have good intentions. They're a lot of them are volunteers and they, they want to help. They, they enjoy the sport. They want to give back to the sport. And so again, like you said, it's, it's not always easy for these coaches to do it effectively, right? They might yeah. not have to do enough coaching education, whether it's through hockey Canada or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But so we, we talk about a conducive environment for athletes and, you know, and my mind goes right to, you know, achieving goal theory, where we think about uh, ego versus task involving environments, ego involving environments being the ones we don't want to strive for. And that's when you, you know, you, you compare, uh, you compare uh, amongst teammates, you're really focused on the outcome versus uh, task where you're a lot more involved in the process and, and enjoyment and, and which actually drives results, uh, as we both know. When you think about your experiences as a coach and, and your expertise, what are some practical ways that coaches can effectively motivate their players to be more task involved? Yeah, very good question. Not easy solution. <laughs> so, um, because again, our, and like think of it this way, and I, I say this a lot, we are fighting against the societal norms that's so results driven this is why we play sports is to win it's not why that might be the goal and the intention and a result that you desire but it's not inherently your why and it's the enjoyment the growth the experience the connections and um and so we're, we're constantly you can say it and say all the right things it's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to define success this way based on how we play in our process and the things within our control. And we're not going to define it based on all these things over here, the results. And then where's their mind? And, and so everybody kind of knows that, but then it's knowing that versus feeling it and living it and dealing with the constant bombardment. Like what your your friend, Hey, how'd you play? Oh, this is no, no. Just tell me how you did you score? Like, <laughs> you know I mean, like, yeah. um, like what was the score? Like, they're just going to results. What do we talk about? It's easier. We go watch TSM. Was oh, who scored? Who's the leading point guys? How many? We're trying to predict how many goals Austin Matthews going to score. Who mm-hmm. won and lost? Who's going to make playoffs? Our culture is just on repeat, playing these videos in our mind. Um, it's kind of like marketing your mind. It's about results, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and so you can be teaching and preaching a culture this way, but you're going to be constantly battling against the societal norm. And so it doesn't mean not to do it. I'm like, oh, you don't stand a chance. But it's just just to understand the depth and how hard it is. And so a couple things that uh, speak out, there's like two levels. You can do this on the overall team level, defining what your process is as a team, your definition of success or your um, John Wooden pyramid of success. And that, like I eventually did that with my team because it was funny. I was like, I knew success was not winning and losing. I was like, and I, I said that right from the get go. That's not what success is for us. It's about the process. But then I never defined the process for the first like six months. <laughs> so, okay. I was, like, I was like, I didn't have it well defined. I was like, damn, I, I was like, really yeah. hard to like, I told them what it wasn't, but then, you know, they're still getting caught up in it. And I'm like, no, no, it's not about that. It's about this. 
And then I was like, eventually I'm like, okay, what's this? Yeah, what <laughs> so is this? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> yeah. So you need to define it. So then we defined it and it had like respect and teamwork and like there's a little pyramid, you know, uh, there's copy more or less, but a simplified version of John Wooden, right? And um, no plagiarism there, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but then the, my point being was you can also do that on an individual level. Right. So then what's success for you as the athlete and get them to reflect and separate and clarify what is there we call definition of success or your process and, you know, how you're going to operate and uh, versus the results. And then having them consistently reflect on that and stay connected to that and set your intentions around it. Um, you'll measure it even right. Getting things more and measurable over here. And so it were, we want to one of the wording that I'm saying is like, I want it tattooed on your mind what your process is. Right. Yeah. It needs to, and the only way you're going to do that is repetition. Right. And you need to ingrain, understand the concept and see the intrinsic drivers, right. The, um, the enjoyment that comes from doing this way, from growing the challenges, the connection, the being a part of a team, the experience in and of itself, how it feels out there. And then, and then defining what those things are. And then just, it's on repeat in your mind. You're setting your intentions before this is what it's about today. And then mm -hmm. afterwards, it's like, how did you do with those things? And then, then like, and it's just constant. And then, and eventually you're just, it's tattooed in mind. This is what matters to me. And this is what matters to our team. And that's so hard because you're getting, again, sucked into these shiny objects, thinking about the results and you're comparing, like I do with a ton of athletes right now. It's so easy for them to go check their stats online. Right. So I'll do the large junior. Oh, mm -hmm. how many goals do I got this year and points? And it's just, and then they start comparing, you know, um, like in minor hockey, there's like, you know, rankings and their standings oh, oh yeah the parents what are they doing oh, they're just checking it every day like <laughs> like what are you you're just feeding your mind yeah. the stuff that's not helping right if you're a leafs fan it doesn't matter you don't really influence the leafs culture but if you're a parent and you're checking your kids standings all the time are there points and etc you're part of the culture you yeah. are then trans that that mindset that is now ego um overly ego focused in an ego environment etc results-based um, is going to get, you know, likely depending on the age and, and the mindset of your child picked up to, to a lot of degrees and, and let alone the coaches, coaches constantly check. Right. So it's like, you're doing that as a coach, instead of being very clear and measuring what matters to you and how you operate and how you mm -hmm. want your players to operate. Um, you know, that's, that's the battle. And, yeah. um, it's so easy for us to say it and so much harder to then go and do it day in, day out. Right. Like even like, you know, yourself as a student or, you know, in, in consulting or in my like, it's so easy to get caught up and think about the numbers and the results, the grades or whatever it is in every walk of life. And it's like getting reconnected to what matters to you, how you want to show up and and how you operate um, and enjoy that journey in and of itself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, is is the battle that every coach is fighting, every athlete's fighting. And um but the more they understand that and do those that process, then the more they start winning that fight more often, the more they're in the moment. And then what happens? They get more results. And one of my favorite lines is like, I've kind of really kind of learned a lot of people screw this up, is we don't focus on the process because you want results. Because what is that doing? If I'm only focusing on the process because I want more results, still means it's all about results. <laughs> so like, yeah. you're actually gonna have a hard time being fully immersed. It's true that focusing on the process will help you get results, but it should not be the main reason why. As long as it's the main reason why you focus on the process, then you probably won't be as fully immersed in it as you could be. 
because the reason why you focus on the process is because you enjoy it. Right. It's not like mm -hmm. we ask a golfer to go and work on their baseball skills and do the, because they don't care about baseball, but they like playing golf or the hockey player enjoys the game. So focus on the enjoyment and the game and the process for the sake of itself. Yes. It's still connected to the results and that can be part of it, but it shouldn't be the main part. Right. Again, you've lost sight of the why. And that's one of the huge, we call it the results trap. One of the biggest reasons people get in this results trap, ego oriented mindset that it's only about that. And they lose connection with the process is because they're, they got the wrong why mm. there's yes, this can be the goal and the result, but it's not the why you play. Right. And a, a classic example is that as you rise in the ranks, what happens? It becomes about, Oh, well now I got to win more. I got to get drafted. I got to like earn this and they forget why they played. And um, I, I don't know if you heard me say this one before, but the, uh, um, the kids playing football in the backyard, right? This old lady's backyard, there's a the flower beds on either side. Oh, and they love yeah. playing there, right? They yeah, love playing I know this one, they yeah. Catch, they catch the football and land in the flower bed and um, as the touchdown zone. So it's like, oh, so much fun. They just enjoy playing it. The old lady doesn't like it. She can't get them to stop. So she's sneaky and goes, I'm going to start paying them to play. We got five bucks every day. This is sick. Well, we get to play. We love yeah. playing here. We're getting paid. And then over time, she eventually starts to pay them less and less. And it's a dollar and nickel. They're like, screw this. I'm not playing anymore. Because it became about the result and not about the process. Yeah. And, and then in the game and the enjoyment. And so it's the same for almost every athlete as they rise the ranks and um, or the more they play. And again, and because our culture is just perpetuating the result. And so the results not always money inherently, but the pro athletes it is, right? Like as the guy last year is like, he's so obsessed about his contract and stuff. It's like just totally forgot about why place in the first place. It was just about this now. And it's actually hurting his performance, right? So um, it's the, it, it happens, but like guys going to NCAA, guys going to the OHL, it's like, just players in their draft year or just like, and I've, I've had athletes as young as like 12 years old. They're like, yeah, this is why I got to perform well. <laughs> That's the, always the intention is to score and put up points and, and do well, win games. Like it's, that's the goal and the intention, but it's not inherently the why. And, mm. uh, and, and in fact, as you rise the ranks, we want to use competition to amplify the fun of the game, right? Not take away from it. So, um, I forgot the question on that one too now, but the, uh, oh yeah, they're separating. Yeah. Like, uh, the environment and one of the, the unique things, um, and the research I think highlights is pretty good, but, um, that task versus ego results orientation. Um, there's two concepts there. First is the athlete, you know, task oriented versus ego. And there's nothing wrong with really wanting results, being really driven and having a goal and results, but they need to be high in task. If you have an athlete that's just high in ego orientation and goal motivation, but low in like, I don't care about the process, like that's problematic. Um, and it's great if they're high in process, low ego, but you can be high in both. Like I'm motivated for both, right? But like, but what I'm always bringing is like, you got to have the intrinsic in the process first. Like, and that has to definitely be strong. And that's usually what's happening is that it becomes too much about results and not process. And then, but that, so that's the athlete themselves. But as a coach, you're doing one of two things at any moment you are promoting one of two sides. You can't promote both task and ego at the same time. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, and what a most coach in the environment we already just talked about is doing what? Promoting ego results. Ego, yeah. And so then as you're, you're battling that and what you're trying to do is create a task oriented environment and that's proven to be effective and better for your players and everything else. Right. Cause then they're going to have that part of their mindset and motivation is going to be better connected and stronger, uh, which leads to greater persistence, resilience and performance and so forth. So, um, so that's why as a coach, it's how your, your motivation, you can have both, but how you talk in the environment you create needs to be very task oriented. And that's challenging. 
So yeah, yeah that was a long-winded answer, but it's, you know, I, th- I think we teased it out pretty, pretty yeah, easily. And like I said, good. I think it's a big one because it's, it's the, the biggest one I'm, I'm dealing with day in, day out. Like, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, I'm not sure you have any thoughts or questions on that, but that, that, there's my yeah. answer. <laughs> well, a few things it's uh, like one, one part you mentioned was the fact that our stats and our outcomes are so readily available. You can go online, you can see uh, how many points and, and parents or kids or coaches can go online and go on, let's say my hockey rankings and see where they rank. And that becomes even more problematic, I think, because then it comes to a point sometimes where winning isn't enough. Because yeah. if you win 3-1, you might still go down in rankings because yeah. you didn't win 7-1 <laughs> if you're playing a bad team. So it's that's really, really challenging, right? Yeah. So, so Cassie, one thing I noticed in your research that I found really interesting was the fact that when a youth athlete would assign blame to their coach for their shortcomings, their parent tended to also do the same. Could you speak a little bit to this dynamic between the youth athlete and the parent? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. And it's why I've kind of gone back and I've upped my like parent, how the parent can support the athlete, because it's kind of common sense when you think of it, where you got an athlete, a parent that's getting in a negative attitude and the negative connotations. And even if they don't ever say anything to the athlete, well, this is very common. Like they're not going to go like, oh, your coach is an idiot. But they're thinking it, right? And their body language says it, how they like drive to the rank, how their their body language while they're at the rank. Their kids picking up on it. And they're and like they're they're gonna bring less joy. They're they're role modeling the wrong mindset, right? And so um, and so that's getting picked up. Like the parents are a part of the culture, and every coach can pretty much guarantee this is like, yeah, like I want my parents in a better mindset because. Like when they're not and they're complaining, like it, it guarantee our team's not playing as well. And, you know, but the parents that get it, I'll use the words get it. Um, they understand what it's about. They trust the process. There's just, you know, keep a positive attitude or, you know, stay encouraging and, um, and focus on the process. Their kids perform better, right? Like, and, uh, and, and they deal with the, the ups and the downs a lot better and the kids, you know, progress better. And, um, and so it just makes sense. And, but then, but it's so hard to, to deal with parents at times and, uh, and, and to shift their mindset and their culture. And that's why coach uh, parent communication is so important, but for the parents listening or coaches thinking about educating their parents, it's crucial that they understand how they can support their child and their mental game and that what they say matters and that they should be educated. Like, um, you sport is just like, it magnifies life lessons. Right. And like having a kid magnify is just a growing opportunity for parents too. Right. Especially in elite youth sports settings, like there's so many emotions. And, um, and so for you to get centered, like it's one of the other classic ones is like, you go watch a youth sport game and parents are like pulling their hair out or they're nervous or they're screaming, yelling instructions, or they're, oh, yeah. you know, diligently making notes and like, Oh, my kid's got to get better. Like, and there's just like hand signals, yeah, like the hand, like the, Oh, there's so much stuff that happens and sometimes it's not even intentional it's like unintentional like and like or the parent doesn't know how to deal with the stress when they're not playing it's like you know the classic goalie mom or whatever is like just so worried and like they don't want their kids to make mistakes or fail and it's like if you're showing up in that mindset how is that going to affect the athletes right how is that that's true like you're not leading by example you got to learn to manage your own to help them better manage theirs and um and like you're the adult in the situation, <laughs> like so. Um, so it's it's important for them to really reflect. One of the other lines that I'll use is they're so focused on their child's experience, they're not aware at all about how they're showing up. Right? They're so obsessed about how is my child doing? How are they showing up? 
how are they, where the results they're getting? It's like, what role are you playing as the parent? And like the parents are clueless. And one of the funny ways that I kind of explain it is like, I, like, and I've had coached and, and a lot of parents, other coaches will attest to this. It's like great people away from the rink. Great, like great, you know, realtor, great, you know, this, like great at their other job, great in business, really like them. They get to the rink, start going a little squirrely. <laughs> it's like, what happened to, to this person that was seeing very normal? And now they're asking all these weird questions and their attitudes, like they're very emotional. Like, it's like, holy smokes. Like, and, um, and so it's really important for parents to self-reflect and be aware of how they're thinking and operating because it is affecting the team and their child and their experience and you're role modeling to them nonstop. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that, that, that's a huge, a huge piece. And I'll give like the example, like, again, think of parents like checking, like you said, they're checking my hockey rankings. Like, what, what a sight that is. And, um, you know, like these kind of things, but it's like, <laughs> do you need to check to know if your team's getting better? Right. Do you need to check to know if your team's performing well? No, you don't actually. Maybe you could check a couple times a year if you want. I'm cool with that, but that's it. And it's because I do the same thing with athletes and checking their stats. I got a junior athlete and he's like, he was checking it three, four times a week. I was like, that's got to stop. And I was like, give him the whole thing. Like we just talked about separate process from results, define it. This is what matters. You're going to stop checking this. You can check that in a month from now. Right. And yeah. stop worrying about scoring goals. Focus on the process. Like what is in your control, your mindset that you want to be in. He's like, all right, yeah, this is all about this. I'm just going to be um, just doing my, uh, I call it the digging for gold, right? You, if you're digging for gold, you don't know when you're going to get it. It's the result, the gold, just dig, process, do, do the thing you can control. Yeah. And then the gold comes and then it's like, then guess what? You keep digging. <laughs> it's like, all about the digging and enjoy the, the process and the digging. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'm all about it. And then go plays great, gets a two goal game. And then he got first star. Like he's like, results come because he's full engaged. Decent he's, game. Decent game, right? So yeah. he's, 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 he's pumped. And then, and then I, I talked to him, he's like, yeah, but I checked my stats after that. Cause I had to see, I wanted to see it online. I was like, did you really need to look? I was like, you needed to look to know you scored two goals and got first star. I was like, I'm pretty sure you knew like, yeah. and looking is again, pulling. So I'm like, you're not looking again for a month. I was like, you better not. He's like, all right. right. <laughs> There's a second warning. Right. So, um, but it's like the same for parents. It's the same. Like, do you need to go look? Oh, we won four nothing. Oh, did we move up the rankings? Do you need to look? Do you? Yeah. And what is the consequence of looking? The consequence is reinforcing this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. And you're losing. And it's like, yes, feedback's helpful. But you won the game. That's the feedback. Like, you don't need to go check and compare how you won versus everybody else. Right? Um, is it doesn't matter that much. And one of my favorite lines, I use this in my parenting. I had parents once tell the players on our way to a game, based on my hockey rankings, we should win the game by four goals. We mm-hmm. should win the game. You should win the game. They told the player, by based on the rankings, you should win the game. We lost. We lost the game. Okay. Yeah. So be, why? Because the players had all these shoulds in their mind and are, were result-centered. And like, I find this out after the game or like, I don't know when I found it out, but I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like they don't get the impact that they're having. And that would have never happened if they just didn't check. And it's like, go focus on playing your game today. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, maybe it matters a little bit like matchups and those kind of things, but that's the coach's job, not the parents. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, focus on the kids process, focus on the team's process, what matters. So yeah, no, no, great, great question there. So um uh yeah no, that, that'd be my response because your parents play a huge factor and and coaches know it mm-hmm. and um but it's not easy to to get parents to to keep adopting that and that's why i've kind of created this new 
um, 21 do's and don'ts for parents and seven steps to support their, the, the kids, mental game, support the team. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little shout out there, but awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even live yet. It's going live this week. Like it's oh, fresh okay, off okay. the press. So, awesome. um, anyways, yeah. Who's the best coach you've ever had Cassidy? Well, I'll have to give that to Chris Piero because I do a podcast with him and <laughs> so, <laughs> but also cause he was, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he was like, we won the championship with the buzzers with him um you know very kind of like um very good at communicator very centered very connected to the process right so um did really well um the the i had also i was also fortunate i had some great uh coaches when i was younger um that really knew the game well and they communicate uh, uh Guy blanchard was his name and like so it was just I, I found that very helpful when you have a coach that's like teaching you the right way to play at a young age um in good fundamentals um so that so that was but i can i like i generally have very selective memory anyway (laughs) (laughs) when i was really young so i don't remember a lot but i have fond memories of that uh, of him being a a great mentor for me so um when i was younger and i actually then my first junior team he was um the coach or the gm and this was no uh gee blanchard in north bay yeah, oh, so with, uh, he's from the North Bay. Skyhawks? Uh, with, yeah, it was really the Skyhawks at the time, right? Yeah. And uh, and then I broke my jaw. And then because the team was so stacked, that was going to be low in the lineup. They just traded me off to Pembroke um, for some, I don't know, for a bag of pucks probably. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, and so I got more opportunity to play more. And um, yeah, right. But it was so it was kind of cool. It kind of came, came full circle. But he was uh, my coach pretty often in minor hockey. And that was, I was fortunate to have that as well. Um, but yeah, they, they can play such a huge, huge um, factor uh, to it. I had Dave Cameron drafted me, but he never actually coached me. So really, um, yeah, because he drafted me and then he went off to coach pro. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> so, but, but great. And then uh, yeah. and then came back right after I left the uh, left St. Mike's. <laughs> so yeah, he was he came back to coach the team again, like three years later after I was done. So when I was my my away year, and I just played junior A. So, um, so anyways, yeah, so that's uh, a good question. Good. Thanks, Cass. And uh, and now him and James Boyd have reunited in, in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Cool yeah. to see full circle. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, okay, Cassie. So I'm conscious of your time. I know you're a very busy person, but as always, it's a pleasure. You know, um, it, it's just nice to talk shop. And, you know, like you say, podcasts like these and just having these conversations are what we need more of, you know, to help coaches navigate these murky waters, so to say, when it comes to, you know, re- at the end of the day, trying to put their best foot forward. Because again, mm-hmm. I think we both agree that the intentions are there. Like they want, they have good intentions, but it's just about being able to do it in a conducive way. So uh, again, Cassie, thank you. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you're you're plugging yourself a little bit about the 21 <laughs> things with the parents. So I'm going to give yeah. you the floor now. Tell us about what you're up to and how people can get in touch. Yeah, um, yeah. So our website is consistentlyperformance.com. That's probably the the best way we do. Um, you know, obviously we work a lot with athletes one-on-one and, and a group program. And so you can you know, apply and, and find out uh, stuff there. We also have um, team programs and uh, where that includes the parent stuff. And that includes, you know, some, the work for the, for the athletes and, and actually we have stuff for the coaches as well. Right. So like, you know, we call it the, the mental skills kind of playbook for coaches. It gives them behind the scenes look of what we do so they can better support it and uh, has some transformational leadership kind of stuff in there. Some kind of like workshoppy stuff. So 
um, because it's supporting from all ends. There's no point in me helping the players and then the coaches not know what I'm talking about and the parents don't know what we're talking about. So it's like we kind of created this full package program. So you can find out all about that on our website too and, and reach out and yeah, and that, you know, we post stuff on Instagram now and then, which probably not as well as you, but. Uh, <laughs> Alan in the mix. Got Alan yeah, 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 Alan's helping out. <laughs> Shout out to him. He's doing great work. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and Max has stepped in in that role too, but. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, and we, have, we I haven't posted much on YouTube lately, but we do have some stuff that goes on YouTube and uh, I'll be, I'll be doing some more of that stuff. So yeah, that, that, that's mainly it. You find us on, on our website, but I'd love to hear anybody listening, you know, can tag us on, online. Love to hear what they took out of the episode. Um, and if you want some, like we have free, like mental toughness assessments, mindset assessments for athletes, and, uh, we're actually have a free one now for parents too. So, nice. um, so there's uh, so that's, uh, we have, um, uh, the parents role assessment is included in that, uh, that 21, uh, do's and don'ts. So that's on our website, but otherwise, yeah, tag, tag me, love to have any listeners have questions, that kind of stuff. That's always good. Good engagement on uh, use the old social media platform. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, relatively speaking. Uh, I'm not that old, but I'm not that uh, social media savvy. But I'll, I'll I go on. I do go on. So yeah. I'll, I'll check. Well, you're you're a social media celebrity now with your big interview on on the news. Oh, the yeah. Day. yeah, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was nice. So uh, we'll see. If we get some more of those, but um, yeah, it's just it's just good to put out you know, have conversation, use social media in a more effective way. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like there's so much social media that's, you know, not as helpful, <laughs> let alone negative or just like pure, you know, cats jumping over dogs or something, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's some more educational, interesting content out there. So I love to interact with people on that side too. So awesome. uh, I appreciate it, Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Thanks Cassie. Uh, as I mentioned, always a pleasure. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Another big shout out and thank you goes out to Dr. Cassidy Preston for joining me for today's interview. He does fantastic work. And remember, if you want to go check him out, it is consistentlyperformance.com. I'll include the link to his website in the description of the podcast for easy access. Well, everyone, I hope you all enjoyed today's interview and be sure to tune in next week when I interview Dr. Adam Nichols to talk about how you as a coach can support the mental health of your athletes. See you then.